Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello. Okay, today I am joined with a very special guest, my husband, and we're going to tackle the conversation of not just the inflation that is here, but hyperinflation and how to prepare for it. Let's check it out. This is the Gaining My Perspective podcast, and you're hanging here with me, Wendy Cunningham. You're here to get empowered, inspired, informed, and encouraged as we navigate the everyday journey of this crazy life. Stick around, because we're going to laugh, and we're going to learn. And above all else, we're going to gain perspective. All right, guys, today we have a little bit of a different situation for our podcast. I'm sitting here with my husband, Tom. He is my, kind of my Google for all things alternative media. (laughs) And uh, he has been kind of plugged into the I hate to say conspiracy theory world because, I mean, that's what it is these days or that's what it's always been referred to as, but I really do think of it more as just like a alternative narrative or a more fleshed out story. Um, He's a deep diver and has been for, gosh, about 20 years and we've been married for going on 13 years. So only in the last six months have I really been in the deep dive. And so I wanted to bring him on and talk a little bit about something we've been talking about a lot in our house, which is inflation slash hyperinflation. And so I know um, the reason why I wanted to talk about this is I think it's something that is very real and something that we could be facing. And I were, you know, by no stretch am I ever an expert about anything, but I think it's good to have these conversations and talk about it and think about it and just start to prepare our hearts and minds and however else we can prepare. So thanks for coming on, hun. Glad to be here. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to start with just kind of some baseline questions um, to give a little bit of history from if somebody is just starting at the very beginning of kind of understanding our economy or our, you know, system here in the United States. So what is the Federal Reserve? The Federal Reserve is a private organization um, that has been uh, organized by private banks to serve as sort of the control of the U.S. dollar. So you mentioned it's private, but it's called the Federal Reserve. So was it always private or was at some point it federal, as it would suggest? No, it was. it's one of those things like so many somewhat misleading uh, names of laws or bills is that it, it, is, uh, it is a misnomer that it is federal. 
It is a organization of essentially private bankers. They they act and behave and are esteemed in the media, etc., as if they are federal, um, but they do not. In fact, they're not federal employees. They're not a federal agency, um, but they do have a massive amount of power over uh, something that affects all of us, including, you know, our, our government in that uh, they, they control the money supply of the U- U.S. dollar. So you're saying they, who are they? Uh, they are uh, a board of bankers that uh, make the decision, but they are they essentially represent um, the elite, massive uh bank banking interests of of not just necessarily the United States banks but um the money in banks around the world. If someone wanted to learn about that, what would be a place to start? Just what is the history of the Federal Reserve? Would that be like a good search to go down? Uh Ron Paul's book, which I can't remember the name of right now. Um, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, it would be awesome. And and Ron Paul, Dr. Ron Paul, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, he spent, uh, he was a medical doctor, um, an OB, if I'm not mistaken, and a, uh, a longtime congressman. Um, he is somebody who kind of shed a lot of light for me and, and for many, many others on what the Federal Reserve is, what they are up to and have been up to. Um, and, uh, how we need to, he, his big thing was abolish the fed. You may have heard that saying before. Um, and I don't know if it's attributed directly to Ron Paul, but, um, as far as I know it to be, he is the, the, the leader of the movement of abolishing the fed because, uh, it is a privatization of control over, um, our money supply. So if we were to abolish the Fed, what would that look like? What would what would be an alternative? Um well, that's a it, that's a interesting question that probably would have been answered differently 5 or 10 years ago because with the the entry of um cryptocurrency and blockchain, uh there are a lot of new answers to that question where before someone would have said it needs to have oversight, more oversight by say Congress, the United States Congress elected representatives. We live in a um, constitutional republic uh, with with a representative government that, that that's how it should work. Now there are lots of uh, um, good and, and, and strong arguments that does government need to uh, be in control of the money any more than um, – than a private entity does when we have the potential for, um, and that's a whole nother discussion, but the, the doors that cryptocurrency and blockchain can open as far as how currency, um, works and how exchanges of, um, a currency for goods work. It's a whole new world out there that one could argue we don't need a federal reserve. And then they're aware of that in the past, we've had security or stability, I guess, is the word stability in our currency because we have the petrodollar. What is the petrodollar? What does that mean? So Nixon, um, I forget the year and all of this is not financial advice, nor am I uh, uh, (laughs) uh, 
degreed historian, but uh, during Nixon's administration, um, uh, amongst some other crucial things that he's not really known for, um, but one of the critical thing decisions he did make was a decision um, or a, a uh, an agreement with um, Saudi Arabia, I believe, but really not just Saudi Arabia, but um, OPEC, which is a group of uh, Arab countries in the Middle East that are produce a massive amount, or at least at the time, a massive amount of the world's oil supply, that that oil will be sold onto the global market in United States dollars. And so anyone that wanted to buy oil had to take their um, Danish mark or German mark or whatever, or British pound, and take it and buy American dollars and then go buy oil. So it, it made the it placed the dollar, the American dollar, in such a a strong. necessity and a stronghold that um, really only grew stronger for the following decades and became what we re- refer to as, you know, the reserve currency. It's the 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 most important the currency. most important currency in the world. Yeah, and that is something that is new when you look at world history. We have not had a global economy for that long when you look at it historically and definitely not in the electronic digital age where money is changing hands. I mean, it's one thing to have trade routes that take months and months, but now we're we're paying for goods internationally and instantaneously and, and a global reserve currency has never, never been before the United States dollar. Um, this is all sort of new, if you will, and uh, and we don't know where where it goes when it comes to an end, and no no other uh, that that has been the paradigm since the seventies, and that's all the world has known as we've grown into this digital age and global economy. So, what is is that still strengthening our dollar, or is that the petrodollar? starting to become compromised. That is also almost a whole nother discussion unto itself. But uh, countries, uh, Vladimir Putin, the um, president, premier, uh, prime minister of Russia, um, has been working for decades to undermine the U.S. dollar as the world reserve currency. He has been courting um, countries like China, India, um goodness gracious, so many others I can't think of right off the top of my head, but in every single way he possibly can, he has tried to undermine that position and has offered um, actually pretty pretty reasonable um, arguments to these folks. Like he doesn't sound crazy to them because he what he's proposing or has proposed is more of a basket of currencies being used. So saying, why should only the U.S. be the reserve currency? Why shouldn't it be a little bit of the Chinese currency, a little bit of the Russian, a little bit of the Indian? Because that would strengthen a lot of countries. Well, that is absolutely not in um, America's interest. And so we do whatever we can to keep that from happening. We need the petrodollar. We need that to stay the reserve currency and it's being undermined over the last how many the, the years? The standard of living that we are able to uh, have maintained in the United States since post-World War II uh, and, um, 
and the standard of of military supremacy that we have been able and, and economic supremacy really um the the reserve currency is is the backbone to that um and one of the other kind of rabbit holes you can go down is is every country that has tried to undermine that um you'll just you'll find them directly in opposition um, under a different narrative to the United States military. Um, one example uh, is some in the in the last decade is Muammar Gaddafi, um, the dictator of of Libya. And I don't want to sound make him sound like a good guy because he was not a good guy, but uh, he had been sanctioned by the United States or by the UN for years and years. And he, in his last uh, gosh for a good eight or so years was completely complying with the sanctions and had actually signed on to um, sort of a plan partially um, by, uh, being pushed by uh, Russia to create a, a Afro dollar in Africa. And um, that is something that uh, they that a lot of African leaders saw as would be very freeing for African nations. Um, from the the debt that they had un, under the World Bank, and which is essentially the Western um, powers, and that um, they saw a future in that. And needless to say, Muammar Gaddafi was overthrown um, by uh, CIA-led um, Islamic insurgents, and that's pretty darn well documented um, if you just look a little deeper than the mainstream narrative. Um, and he was dragged through the, through the streets as he was just a few years from being the one to roll that out. He was the, the, like the leader in Africa of bringing a currency, um, to the continent of Africa. What's a sanction? A sanction is when like, let's just use the United Nations sort of a world government, right? They say, uh, Iran's on the, the bad list. Uh, you're not allowed to buy anything from an Iranian company, and you're not allowed to sell anything to Iran, which makes you very isolated in this global economy and uh, makes it very difficult to uh, have a decent standard of living for the people in your country or to grow your nation's economy at all. So to kind of recap on that, all that history, there has been a number of people, leaders of various countries that have over the past several decades, tried to undermine our position as the reserve currency, which has, if we were to lose the position as the reserve currency, that would really affect the power of our dollar because, right, our dollar used to be backed up by gold and left that standard. Leaving the gold standard allowed the United States to borrow just absolutely unlimited uh, basically unlimited um and we became a true fiat currency because you have to understand and that, fiat currency means not backed by anything real right exactly and and you know prior to it being a fiat currency a an american dollar was e either a silver certificate or or backed by gold you could take it and and be given physical gold um, and that's kind of like if you look at the history, even, you know, um, of, you know, a banknote or something out in like Wells Fargo in San Francisco in 1850, you know, that 
you could take a banknote from one bank and carry it over to another bank in Placerville, California, and be given gold for it, you know, and that banknote would could be transferred back over to that Wells Fargo in um, in San Francisco, and and gold be replaced for it. You know, like the these things, these certificates, they weren't just dollars necessarily, you know, actually had something. real value tied to a precious metal that has intrinsic value as long as humans have been around. And fiat currency leaves that away and just says, we just are telling you with the authority of our government or the Federal Reserve, you know, that that has value. This has this X value. So mark one or check one against our dollar was when we left the gold standard. And then now we kind of have extended ourselves out with the power of the reserve currency of the globe with our petrodollar. But that is now being un- undermined. So tell me about quantitative easing and how that works and how that's also undermining our currency. So it's it can be pretty complex and I won't pretend to be an expert on it. But basically, we don't really print money anymore. We just create it digitally and move it digitally into banks' accounts. But what we have been doing since, well, geez, the early 2000s, but we really cranked it up. I think George Bush started it um, and really cranked it up in the fiscal crisis, economic crisis of 08, 07, 08. Um, but basically, we started printing money digitally and giving it to banks to loan out to stimulate the economy, right? It was the idea. And what they have been doing is buying stocks, um, loaning it out to people who are typically keeping it in equities. It's not hitting the the main street economy. Um, so that has been relatively hidden and I'm kind of getting ahead of us because that's how that's why we haven't had more inflation than we have. So quantitative easing is essentially, printing either not creating more money money. so not actually necessarily printing a new dollar but creating more money in circulation which in turn dilutes the value of all dollars in circulation correct if you double the amount of money every dollar has half the value it's watering down the kool-aid watering down the kool-aid so watering down the kool-aid so that is also that strike three uh, against our currency of just making our currency weaker and more um, less stable. Is that right? Uh, it not necessarily less stable. To, it I mean to get into the details, but I, I guess if we could kind of steer it towards we vulnerable. Have, well, we have run up a massive amount of debt. And I think I was, I don't have the source for this in front of me, but I was hearing, heard something where um, it was like countries that have uh, less than 90% uh, debt to GDP ratio. Okay, what's GDP? Gross domestic product, all of the value of the economy of a country for an entire year, everything. And I think ours is well. It's uh, in the like twelve or thirteen trillion. I think or something like that. Um, 
but we have, um, and I could be wrong, could be a little more than that even, but, uh, but we're now up in the low twenties in national debt, 20 something trillion dollars. And when you have, when you, when you stimulate the economy by printing, um, a trillion dollars, if you are under the 90% debt, national debt to gross domestic product ratio, then you, you actually create about a hundred billion dollars in stimulation. stimulation. If you're over the 90% number, then of debt to GDP, to GDP, then you actually, your net gain is a loss of about a hundred billion dollars GDP. And we are at about 120, 130%, 130%. Our debt is 130%. So it'd be like, if you have, uh, if you make a hundred thousand dollars a year, um, but you're, you have $130,000 of credit card debt, that would be a pretty steep hill to climb out of. Right. Um, and what we're, so that is not the end of the world. What's important to know, and this is my opinion, but this is an opinion shared with a lot of, of different economists is that it isn't a matter of is inflation going to occur? We we're we're seeing it occur now. There because it is such a red flag to um, an economy to start seeing that. There, the Federal Reserve is is downplaying it, and dare I say, I would go so far as to say, hiding it and stopping measuring metrics that display inflation. But make no mistake, one of the ways you deal with debt because the the beauty of printing your own money is as long as your debt is in your own money, they could, if we have $23 trillion worth of debt, they could print $23 trillion tomorrow and pay it off. However, back to what we were discussing, how would that the affect the, your dollar? If you've got 5,000 little dollars in your peasant account, how would that treat your five? It would be worth about a thousand dollars worth of purchasing value at after that occurred but but we'll never go bankrupt as long as we have the ability to print the money that we hold the debt in so all of this debt is is creating inflation and inflation is essentially your buying power declining what what how would you define that is inflation? the result of inflation is purchasing power the the real value and and you know you look at and and one of my favorite examples in Ron Paul's a a uh, a 1964 uh uh quarter is made out of 90% silver and prior to 1964 1964 and earlier are uh some of our small change um particularly dimes and quarters and half dollars were made out of partially silver. So if you, back in 1940 or, you know, even in the 30s, you know, you might have only gotten uh, a, a dollar or two or three or four a week in wages, um, but... They held value. Or, 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 or an, a, you know, a quarter an hour, I don't know what. But the ironic thing is that, you know, what did a Coke cost in, in 1964? You know, a quarter... Or 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 a dime, you know, which 
the ironically the 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 value of that silver is about five dollars today. So do the math. It the precious metal it has the same purchasing power as that two dollar ninety nine cent Coke would cost you in the Quick Mart here today. Um, you can't buy a a Coke for a quarter anymore. You know what I mean? Obviously, things have changed. That that is inflation, and 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 to be clear, inflation is not completely and only a bad thing. There is a role that inflation plays in an economy and in economic growth. And our Federal Reserve and most economists, like the consensus would be like, depending on the, the how hot or cold the economy is, 1% to 2% inflation annually is sort of what they shoot for. And it's normal and acceptable. It's normal and acceptable in a, you know, fiat uh currency model. Um, the idea is that it's managed and controlled and, and controlled being the most important is that it's not out of your control because inflation has this, uh, sort of wild card factor that when it starts to rise, it can get out of control. It's kind of like a virus in your body. You know, it's normally fine, but if it does start to take over and you're not beating it, then it, things can go real bad real fast. So that's the difference between inflation, which is normal and expected, and hyperinflation, which is when it starts to get out of control and we lose our value in our dollar really fast, correct? Yes, and I I think, and don't quote me on this, but I believe hyperinflation, and there's probably more than one definition for it, depending on who you ask, but is more than 10% inflation, Um in a year's in a time year is is the 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 now hyperinflation can go all the way up to like literally millions of percent inflation like i just shared tonight a one and a half trillion dollar bill from zimbabwe uh with a friend i shot a sent an image over to him um and and that didn't start that way right they started with a one dollar bill and then inflation started happening and in order to buy bread, you know, for the value, your your their currency was so devalued that so devalued so quickly, so quickly that you would have to they the government would start printing bills with higher numbers on it, and instead of you just taking a wheelbarrow of dollars to it, the store to buy stuff. In two thousand and eighteen, it was like I just saw a picture. 150,000 uh, bolivars to buy a five pound chicken in Venezuela and things are, are no better today. So, you know, imagine $150,000 to buy a chicken at the store, you know, that would be, that's like hard to wrap our minds around. It doesn't really make sense right off the bat. You kind of have to soak in it. So you're talking about these other countries. So I think there's a lot of, um, we are so blessed in America and this experiment has been going so well for so long that I think a lot of people think, oh, that's not going to happen here or it's never happened or that's not real, but it has happened in a number of other countries, correct? A number of other countries. There are some, again, a, a, a quick YouTube search of examples of hyperinflation um, 
will be absolutely fascinating. I mean, they're the uh, Weimar Republic in post World War One, uh, Germany, Austro Hungary, um, Zimbabwe, Venezuela, um, Serbia, Czechoslovakia. Those are our most recent examples. Uh, and, and I mean, Venezuela is happening right now and has been for about, oh gosh, about 10 years or maybe a little less. But th- this is not something out of the history books like, oh, it happened once. You know, this is this is the the life of a fiat currency is it, no fiat currency lasts forever and it uh, has an end and the end is hyperinflation it, they almost all like ev- short of ending in a catastrophic conquering of the country where in basically a war where that currency ceases to exist because that country was conquered every other example of the end of a currency is hyperinflation with the rare exception of a currency being phased out where there's basically hyperinflation is how fiat currencies end. So we've been talking about this for the last couple of months, very seriously, but more and more all the time each day. So what makes you think that's on the horizon for us here? So I, to be clear, I am not, uh, saying for sure that hyperinflation is on the horizon. That well, inflation is inflation here. Inflation is absolutely here. According to the most recent Federal Reserve meeting, we're somewhere in the neighborhood of 6% and potentially expected to be at about 10% at the end of the year, correct? The Federal Reserve notes from March, I believe, uh, were 4.6%. And they buried it in the notes because their official, their official bullet point said that they will, they will have a two percent inflation over the course of a period of time. But the transitory, meaning short term, was four point six. Now four point six meaning year over year. Yeah, if you were to measure it at the rate that it's going right now, and it stayed this way for a year a dollar would lose 4.6 cents of value. I see. And it's supposed to be in the land of 2%. That's what they're hoping for. Now, a lot of economists, a lot, I mean, you just got to look out there and ask, but, and these are difficult things to measure in March or I'm saying in, in May, what it will be at the end of the year. Right. So you're, you, it's a lot of projection, but, um, I, I mean, anyone who's out there um, buying food, you know, lumber, building materials, um, and, and, and companies that are having to acquire these materials in entire industries across the board, we're seeing prices rising, prices rising. So, And not just a little bit, it's really dramatic. Really dramatic. And, and, and so give an example, we're doing a reno on our bathroom and you told me that a sheet of plywood a year ago would have been, Oh, it could be, depending on the, the material, the type of plywood, you know, 10 to $20. And now they're, they're literally 50 to 75 to their, to more than that. Um, a two by four, not that long ago was three bucks, eight foot two by four. And it's $10 and 47 cents at Lowe's a week ago. So these are good ways to measure is your commodities. Yes. Now, granted, there are other reasons why 
these prices are being affected. It's not to be totally clear. It's not necessarily all inflation, but kind of where I would, what we know that even the Federal Reserve who does not want to acknowledge that there is inflation that is out of their comfort zone occurring, they're acknowledging that it is. Economists are acknowledging that it could be as much as six to 10% this year. And um, which is crazy, which is massive. It would be the worst inflation that our generation will see the so in a far single in a year time. Um, you'd have to talk to your parents, you know, people in their 50s and 60s that would remember some pretty substantial six, seven, eight percent inflation in like the 70s. Um, now, and even Warren Buffett is speaking on it quite a bit. Yes, Warren Buffett. I mean, it's the kind of thing that no one wants to shout from the rooftops because it sends off alarm bells and everyone in a in a strong market where the stock market's up, nobody wants the the rally to end. So you you have to remember it's it no one wants to hear the bad news when times are good. That's like write that down. Like, so why my life. <laughs> why is the stock market going fine if we're seeing this in commodity prices and seeing you know the feds talking about this inflation rate what what's the correlation or lack of correlation there well basically for years and years and years as we've been printing money the bank the federal reserve loans it out to banks at 0% interest that then loan it out to hedge funds banks to stimulate the economy, that it that it trickles down. It, um, but the truth is, is that a huge amount of it, a massive amount of it, uh, stays up at the level of banks, hedge funds, private equity, and they buy stocks with it. So they borrow the money, and then they buy stocks with it. And the idea is that they make a, a more of a return than the money cost them. Well, for years, the money hasn't cost them barely a thing. Because it's been so cheap, the interest rate has been at near zero. So if the interest rate's at 0.25 straight from the Fed, and they're making 7, 10, 12% returns on the stock market, um, when you're getting hundreds of billions of dollars that you get to invest, that amount of money will drive the stock market up all by itself. So the stock market is going well because the quantitative easing, the money that we've been creating out of thin air is essentially going directly into the stock market. Right. So this is going to kind of bring us to... Pause. What's a hedge fund? A hedge fund is just a a, uh, a group of people who manage rich people's money. Um, usually the absolute bare minimum to get into a hedge fund would be like 250000 Some of them are in the tens of millions to get into. So you give a guy, a hedge fund manager... $25 million and he with with the other hundred people has, you know, a billion, two billion dollars to manage and they can do some really big things. And that's so it's just a bunch right of there. it's a bunch of billionaires or millionaires, millionaires getting together and using their collective wealth to invest or sway the market. Yes. With with that amount of money, a billion dollar hedge fund. Think of what you can buy. You can buy entire companies with that. Um, you can buy struggling companies and turn them around. They do all sorts of stuff. So let's talk about the um, – we we have been doing quantitative easing that has 
been pushing the money s- supply into the markets. It not very much of it hit Main Street. We just did over the course of 2020 and early 2021 um some surplus uh surpluses some uh stimulus stimuluses checks. directly to Main Street. And one of the things that really People will say, a lot of folks will tell you, they're probably listening to this already and going, that's not what what drives inflation. That's not what, it isn't just about the number of dollars that are out there. It's about the speed of the money. And this is the- Like the the money exchange. the, The velocity of the money. And that's how quickly it's, it's moving through the economy where- when they give it to the banks and the banks buy Apple stock with it or Tesla stock with it. It's kind of stalling in the market. It's it's tied up. And uh, there's the M1, M2, M3 money supply. And those are basically the, the different levels in the economy where, where dollars move. And, and for example, one of the things that the Federal Reserve just came out because I, I mentioned they're trying to sort of hide the inflation or, or downplay it. Because they don't want to set off alarm bells. They don't want to set off alarm bells that they just stopped tracking the M3 uh, money supply. And M3 is what? Uh, it's basically the lowest the level, lower, closest to Main okay. Street kind of thing. And that velocity is picking up. And because these stimulus checks hit our yes. banks and we all spent it. And it's it's a sign of inflation. I mean, it tells you other things too, but it's one of the indicators of inflation. Well, we can also look at the fact that over the last year, even Trump into now Biden, these massive spending bills, like we have just absolutely upped our debt in the last 18 months astronomically like we never have before. 40% of all the dollars... That have ever been in that circulation. Have ever been in circulation, have been created, is it in the last year? In the last 18 months. In the last like 18 months. Um, and again, l- Google that. I, I, I prefer DuckDuckGo. DuckDuckGo that. Duck that. Um, it's, that's an astounding. Really astounding, staggering. Staggering number uh, or statistic. And it is real. Okay, so we think for these various reasons, for the, the, you know, Charlie Kirk talks about, he I forget who he quotes when he says this, but things happen gradually and then all at once, right? So gradually with our quantitative easing and with the petrodollar and even starting back when we moved away from the gold standard, we've been compromising, if you will, our fiat currency, making it vulnerable to inflation and hyperinflation. So hyperinflation just being the rapid pace of inflation over the course of a year, or even when you start to get into hyperinflation, it your value can be decreasing by the week, by the day, by the hour, correct? Yes. So the hyperinflation is hard to comprehend. And um, it's it's a fascinating phenomenon because we just live in such stability like stability that we take for granted, we just don't even realize. You know, there in Venezuela, um, in in these countries that have been affected, sometimes people are paid out their paychecks hourly because if they were to wait for the end of the day or the end of the week, it would be utterly worthless. So they literally get paid their hourly wage at the hour 
and someone comes and gets it from them and goes and buys food for the day. If they, you know, it, I mean, that's how crazy it can be. And there's. So this is where it's, you start to hit that. What is it called? Cognitive dissonance. Is that how you say it? Sure. Where it's just hard to believe that that could really be our situation. So you're talking about Venezuela specifically. I just had a conversation with a Venezuelan here um, last weekend that this is real. This is absolutely happening in Venezuela, which prior to hyperinflation was a very booming, stable economy. Yes? Uh, It was. I mean, you have to go back more than a decade now. But uh, yeah, and I mean, that's a whole nother podcast too of how they got to that. It wasn't, I mean, everyone's road sort of is different. They they ran towards communism and the nationalism that they nationalized their biggest industries and collapsed their economy um, and made it so that no other country wanted to risk investing in their country. And when you say they, you mean their corrupted government. The Venezuelan government, uh, Hugo Chavez, um, I believe, and uh, Maduro. And And then we start to see parallels to what's happening in our government and our elections. And, you know, that's been already linked. And, you know, you can do that research. But there starts to be some connections very specifically to Venezuela and how they fell and now how we're walking that same line. So I can't really talk specifically about that due to censorship issues, but I think you know what I'm saying. But too, if there's one thing that I feel confident in hypothesizing out and and sort of uh, encouraging people to be aware of is that because of the amount of debt that we have and the the it's not just the amount, but the ratio to which it relates to our GDP and how fast we're accruing it and how it shows no signs of stopping that the federal reserve intends to deal with some of that with the tool of inflation because inflation is a tool because again, like we said, if they just printed $23 trillion tomorrow, the debt would be, they could pay it all off, but they're going to try to walk that line without it getting out of their control which is right. the risk. And and they know they're taking a risk and and so I guess all I'm saying is they know and are acknowledging. They don't want to tell you that that's their plan because it it would sound like irresponsible. It would sound like, "Hey, we spent way too much money and now we're watering down your currency and your bank account. You're going to lose buying power." No, we have no plans to pay you more. We have no plan. You know, like it's nothing but bad news, but it's not terrible. At least we're not, you know, we're going to try to get out you know? of this debt and but, blah, blah, blah. And, and I don't even know that they're, they don't necessarily want to get out of it. They just, we are into red line territory. The last country um, to be, I believe Greece was at 138% when they went bankrupt. And I don't know if many people paid attention, but when they went through that, there were runs on the banks. And there was you limits could, on the ATMs. You, you could, could only, only get take... $60 out a day or, or euros or whatever out a day. Um, it, it, and that was just a couple of years that ago. That was not that long ago, five, six, seven years ago. Um, and and we are in that realm of national debt. Now, obviously, they're in a different situation. And this, you know, is that their debt wasn't in – they don't have the ability to print their way out of their debt. But – as far as just debt to GDP ratios, 
There's a lot of things that are giving us cause for alarm. It makes it very difficult. Um, like the interest on our debt, uh, I believe if we keep on, well, this year changed everything because we printed so much money, but um, we're, we're drastically getting to a point where, you know, the, the minimum payment, the interest you have to pay to service that debt is a larger and larger portion of our annual budget, right? So you either have to tax people more to pay it or you have to cut spending. And we're, we're not showing good at no of signs of cutting spending. So how do you prepare? What do, what do you do to either are there any ways to make money? And how do you hedge against this? And how do you just prepare as well as you can? So for those of you, I and I'm in the most loving, loving way, I'll kind of refer to you like a sort of normie, if you've got your 401k financial advisor, kind of rule, I would strongly recommend that you have a conversation with them. And if they're not aware of this, or if they just placate you, which 99% of them will, um, because they they don't want you moving your money, they don't want you pulling your money out, they don't, you know, that is not in their interest, but is reassessing the relationships you have with people who are managing your money. If you have someone managing your money, interview them again, see how, ask them questions that make them tell you how much they know about these things and what they would be doing. Now, some if you manage your own money or good if your financial advisor says things like in moving allocating parts of your portfolio to commodities, commodities are going to see the benefit of inflation. The value of commodities is going to go up. So if you buy low, commodities being oh uh Wood, so many things, corn, uh, yeah, soy. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a whole nother. We most people don't invest in the commodities market, um, but you things can, that make other things. But you can buy indexes, like like you can buy a index of the entire commodities market. You know, and just if the commodities go up, your money goes up. It's just like buying an index fund um, for the the Nasdaq or the NYSE. You know, or the just whatever Dow Jones. So you can do it just like that. Um, there's ETFs that. There's all sorts of different products that are tailored for so that. moving a portion potentially into commodities. Yes, uh, and 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 do your own research and 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 find you know what has done well um, in inflationary times. And not I'm not talking about hyperinflation yet. I'm just talking about how can you make money even at a time when other things are going to lose money. And again, uh, we're not financial inv- advisors no. or investors or I, any I'm of those things. Just to, to seek out professionals. But this is our own thought process. Yes. And well, and, and it's built on talking to or other people and, and, and listening to um, a folks lot of who sources. are, you know, far smarter than I am. Uh, and precious metals are also considered commodities and and typically when these things occur these these periods of time occur you will see substantial rises in all precious metals um but gold is a classic one you can now you can buy it physically or you can buy it as a um as part of sure. your portfolio you know we recommend taking physical ownership of that 
Yeah, and and that's like a to each their own. But um, I personally am in the camp of you don't own it unless you hold it. Um, and there are a lot of uh, I'd recommend just it, it, for folks who are interested, anyone who's on Reddit, check out Wall Street Silver um, and Wall Street Gold. Uh, you know they there are some very interesting things going on in those markets, particularly the silver market. And globally, um, over the past 10 years, there have been some very concerning things uh, that have happened in not just the gold market, but every country has gold reserves. And many, many countries have been calling their gold home um, that was sitting in other countries. Uh, whatever, that's a whole other issue. But So they're moving their precious metals back into their own if countries want to hold their own gold you, you want to hold, hold your own gold. gold right it's it's you know do what the wiser folks are doing right um but i i am and that is that. more of a hedge against inflation not so much a way to make money as this you know as we transition through inflation but more of just a way to hold value in what the assets you already have at a bare minimum it holds the value of what you the buying power it could give you yeah. increase now it what well, everything we just kind of talked about is like if just nothing too terrible happens um if something crazy happens and like hyperinflation gets out of control um and we could experience hyperinflation um then things like physical silver physical gold could skyrocket in value like because having a dependable currency and what what is a currency something that people believe in and and will take you know instead of just having if i need eggs and and you need milk but you don't have or i don't have milk and you don't have eggs it makes it hard for us to exchange goods right but if you know i can give you a piece of silver and get the eggs and you can know you have confidence that you can take that piece of silver and go get your milk. I mean, isn't that what a dollar is, right? So the idea is, is what are you going to have that is, is going to instill a high degree of confidence and therefore have be more palatable and have more utility in a period of time like that. Now I have, um, been doing sort of some just, uh, for fun studying like what is life like in places like Venezuela what it was life like during the period of hyperinflation in Zimbabwe um in you know the the Weimar Republic you know these different what what was the tangible day-to-day struggle how did people succeed how how do you live and die in that you know and um precious metals are absolutely absolutely valuable um, now and also crypto, and now we're finding Venezuela. Since we have this current situation, uh, cryptocurrency decentralized, not controlled by their nation's government via the internet, um, is th- sort of becoming their savior, and uh, it it gives them stability. So if you think you know, there every the the Bolivar is absolutely and utterly worthless. There are people in. Venezuela that are are bec- starting to uh, ask to be paid in Bitcoin. Now, obviously, they're getting paid just fractions of Bitcoin. Bitcoin's trading in like fifty seven thousand range, um, but they're just fifty seven thousand getting... dollars a coin. Yes, um, but but the thing is, is that it's digital. It's from the internet, 
and they have more faith in it, in its stability, than they have in their nation's currency. And so they have, um, by getting paid in that, that it's holding more value, holding its value through the end of the day, through the week. So another hedge would be to put some of your portfolio, or if you could into specifically Bitcoin or just cryptocurrency in general. Mm, uh, I would be careful. We're still on the, on the fence on that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just want to make people aware of it, but I w- I'm not saying that I recommend it and I am not a financial advisor, um, but it, I just want people to understand. It's holding value in Venezuela for that, people on the ground. That there are, are, if we experience hyperinflation, we as the peasants will have a few more tools potentially at our disposal than historical examples of hyperinflation had when when in the Weimar Republic in the 1930s there was there was no other way you know if you it was you were gold, straight barter or barter you know and that was it and and there was no other option and and in today's hyperinflationary um situations we are seeing that blockchain and crypto has uh, a place there but would i load up on a particular cryptocurrency to prepare right now for hyperinflation? No, um, I would not do that. But it's something to keep your eye on, research, understand. It's something to learn about. It's something to research and, le- and understand. Um, absolutely, yeah. Wow, okay. So that's a lot. We learned a lot. This was a little bit of a longer podcast. It's the only one I'm going to put out this week. But that was a lot of history, a lot of uh, background on our position in um, – the United States, I think right now, the reason why I wanted to bring this to the conversation, the front of our conversation is there's so many things going on right now. There's so many distractions in our country. You know, we're worried about the coronavirus and masks and vaccines and, you know, these various bills that are in Congress and all of these things are important and we need to be battling on all of these fronts. But this other one is I think it's a little bit of a sneaker because it, I, I'm not hearing a lot of people talk about it. Only in the last week and a half have I heard podcasters specifically talking about inflation, not hyperinflation, but inflation in a real way that it's here, that we're all admitting it, we're all really recognizing it, specifically after the last Federal Reserve meeting and the notes were released. Um, Warren Buffett, again, speaking up on it quite a bit recently. So I wanted to talk about it because I, I want people to understand it and um, just be able to start to have those conversations about, you know, what can we do? We also went and bought um, food, you know, just having more um, uh, storable food on hand, you know, dry goods, canned goods that um, just last, you know, those are those are great things for if it you know, if, if things, if things do, we already walked through this in 2020 where there was a run on the grocery stores and, you know, there was a shortage of this and that, and there's still shortages of all kinds of things. So that's also just a good thing to do. Um, whenever we're, you know, looking down the barrel of these various potentially dynamic situations is just to have what you need at home. And, um, there used to be a show we would watch called doomsday preppers and we would laugh because that was, gosh, six, seven, eight years ago. And we always have kind of been in that mindset of just being prepared for anything that might come our way. But all the more reason to do that these days, because there's so many things coming our way. But 
Anything else you want to share? Um, grow a garden. Grow a garden. Uh, the skills, you know, as far as just prep, preparing for something like this, if it becomes more concerning or you just are concerned about it. Uh, you can provide for yourself. Yeah, just the, the, the fundamental concept is just having um, more of an ability to uh, be self-sustaining in whatever that looks like for you. And for, it's going to quell a lot of the fear and anxiety about it if you know you can feed yourself. Well, and, and, and it's to, I'm trying to be very like approachable to just people from all walks of life and all um, you know viewpoints on this perspectives. But like for us, it, I mean, we live on a farm now and that for me as the um, the head of the household and the, you know, the, the uh, leader of the family it was just ingrained in me that I, I mean, there was a lot of reasons, but one of the big ones was that I, I have this, it, I felt more secure living in a place where, um, if we had to, and we do provide a certain amount for ourselves now, not as much as we would if we had to, but we have that ability to scale. And, you know, that can look like just a, a an acre or a couple acres or, or, you know, it just, it, it can or look a couple garden boxes or a couple garden boxes to you, you know, but to have that ability. And I, I, you know, I promise you, if you look into, you know, these places like what Venezuela is going through right now, I mean, their gardening is like, it's not a pastime. It's like, necessity. The, it's the cheapest food they can get. And the, and sometimes the most guaranteed food they can get. And I, I am not trying to sound alarmist. Like this is right around the corner. Again, it's like, just should we get to a point where this seems more likely than any of us would have ever expected? These are some of the things to consider. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining me, husband. I hope that helps you guys. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate this podcast and tell all your friends. And of course, catch me over at gainingmyperspective.com. Father God, we just ask that we should be reminded and confident in the fact that you are good all the time, all the time you are good in this and in all things. And we just ask for your divine guidance and discernment as we navigate how to prepare our hearts, minds, livelihood, families, spirit, (laughs) our whole lives against this coming monster, this beast of hyperinflation, Lord. What would you have us do? And we just ask these things in your son's name. Amen.